cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with him on high. I don't get it, but I'm glad I got it. Our scripture reading, our sermon text this morning is from Ruth. And we're going to read uh, beginning in chapter 1 of verse 4 to verse 12 of chapter 4. So Ruth 4, 1 to 12, if you'd like to turn to that. And I will again be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now God's word. We're jumping in midstream here, so I'll just roll with it. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate of the city and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had earlier spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the Redeemer said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, well, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, well, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to his sons Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, so that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, I'm from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Let's pray. Lord, we're uh, jumping in midstream, and there's a lot of context that we're not aware of in this passage. We thank you that there's something here for us this morning to glean, something good and right and true. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would indeed 
Make your word, which is living and active, alive in our hearts. May we reckon what you have for us here this morning, Lord, and may it stir faith and new life, confidence, courage, and redemption, we pray for your sake. Amen. Uh, It has become a habit at Christ Covenant Church uh, in Langley, where I work, that on Mother's and Father's Days, we look at a particular character from the scriptures, uh, man, of course, or woman, of course, uh, for each day. So this morning, we're going to spend some time considering the person of Boaz from the book of Ruth. We'll spend some time exploring Boaz in the context of the book of Ruth, make a key observation that we don't want to miss, and then close our time by considering something God would have us wrestle with. Uh, Since it's Father's Day, we're focusing on men here a little bit, but I think you ladies will be able to glean something too. Before we dive into this passage, I want to do a little bit of a reverse of what normal sermons do. Usually we go observation, interpretation, application. We're going to apply something from this word right off the bat. In Philippians 4, 8, Paul exhorts us to fixate on things which are true and right and good and beautiful and worthy of praise. And at the end of this passage, we see the people around Boaz do something. They celebrate what he has done and honor him. I don't know too many of you here at Faith. I know some of you. But it is right and good for us to celebrate you broken, image-bearing men who walk humbly before God, do what is right in his sight, and love mercy. We need not pretend any of you are perfect. We know better than that. And yet, brothers, we praise God for you. We thank God for you men who love God and love us. We thank God for the good work that he does in and through you. For when you are strong and courageous in the Lord, you bless us mightily. So thank you for your faithfulness. What does it mean to be a man who walks humbly with God, who loves mercy and does what's right in his eyes? What does it mean to be a godly man? Let us consider this morning the person of Boaz. Boaz is one of two central characters found in the book of Ruth. Ruth, of course, being the other. Now, their story takes place in an interesting time, during the time of the judges. A time when we are told there is no king in Israel and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. It is a dark period, a period of disobedience, 
of utter selfishness, of men leaning on their own understanding, a period of chaos where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then we hear the story about Ruth and Boaz. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes except for Ruth, except for Boaz. And this is the story. I'll catch us up where we arrive in chapter 4. A man named Elimelech of the tribe of Judah took his wife Naomi and his two sons to the plains of Moab, a foreign land, because there was a famine in the land. Why was there a famine in the God's promised land, the land flowing of milk and, with milk and honey? Because the people were disobedient. There are consequences to sin. And so Elimelech takes his sons to a foreign land. And they marry two pagan women. One being Ruth. But tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies. And each of the two sons die. And this leaves Naomi and her two daughters, daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, facing an ethical dilemma. Ruth and Orpah could remarry in Moab and start a new life, but this would leave Naomi left to fend for herself. Naomi encourages the two young women to do just this. Go start a new life. Leave me alone. Orpah takes the opportunity. But Ruth forfeits her chance to start again. She abandons a hope for her future out of love and compassion for her mother-in-law. Where you go, I will go, she says. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. Ruth 1, 16 to 17. And so it came to pass that Naomi and Ruth returned to Israel. You see, Naomi still possessed one resource, one resource that had not yet been stripped of her, a land, a property, in Elimelech's name. Upon returning home, Ruth promptly got to work to support Naomi. After all, someone has to keep a roof over their head and bread on the table. Life doesn't just cease to move on when tragedy strikes, does it? No, life doesn't just stop when difficulties arise. So Ruth sets her hand to the plow, and she goes to glean on the sides of the field as paupers are wont to do. In to the scene steps Boaz. It just so happened that Ruth found herself gleaning in a portion of a field owned by a relative Elimelech of Elimelech named Boaz. And the text gives us an interesting note. It notes that Boaz is a worthy man of the clan. Now this is a turn of events that Ruth and Naomi did not expect. 
finally some good news in this story. Boaz is a worthy man, a godly man. And in this story, we see Boaz walks by Ruth and the other paupers gleaning in the field, and he blesses them. He takes a moment to stop and speak a blessing to them. And this wealthy man notices that there's a new woman in the field. He has eyes to see. And he asks his servant, who is this new woman? And the servant informs him that she is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And hearing this, Boaz goes to Ruth and he does some interesting things. He invites her to stay in this portion of land, his portion of land, so that she might not be abused by others, that she might remain safe. And he offers to her water from his servant's portion. And he commends her for this kindness that she has done for Naomi. And he invites her to share supper with he and his laborers. And he takes from his own stored portion a surplus to give to her and Naomi as she leaves. And Ruth tells Naomi, and Naomi sees this blessing and sees a golden opportunity and encourages Ruth to seize it. For Boaz could be a kinsman redeemer for her. Now, what is a kinsman redeemer? In Israelite civic law, God's social ordinances for his people, a widow may experience redemption and restoration in her life through a man from her husband's family marrying her and taking it upon himself to restore her fortunes. But there's a catch. To do this, the man must forfeit his lineage. Any son born to that widow would perpetuate the name of the deceased kinsman. You see? So in this case a kinsman redeemer bearing sons through Ruth would, in accordance with God's law, bear sons not of Boaz or whoever, but sons of Elimelech. And so a kinsman redeemer faced his own ethical dilemma. Do they care for what God asks? Do they protect their kinsman's honor? Do they provide for the destitute widow and the fatherless children by stepping into the place of substitute husband and forfeit their legacy and namesake? Or do they serve themselves, leaving in-law widows and fatherless children to fend for themselves? Ruth, our heroine, at Naomi's suggestion, goes to Boaz and asks him humbly, will he be her redeemer? And Boaz, unwavering, replies, I will make sure you are indeed redeemed. But there's a complication which leads us to chapter 4. You see, there is another redeemer who's ahead of the line, who has first rights, to Elimelech's land and Ruth's hand. 
And so we're invited in chapter 4 to the on-the-ground reality of this particular story. Boaz meets this other, in order of kinship, closer redeemer, and reveals the situation to him. And what we see in our text is the redeemer is excited at first. Some land? Yeah. I'll take some land. But he passes once he understands the real cost involved. Boaz makes sure that the whole interchange is done in accordance with what is just and right in their customs. He gathers up the appropriate God-appointed witnesses, the elders of the town, and he makes that man give him his shoe. Be kind of fun if we did this nowadays, right? You go purchase a home and you get a boot in the deal. But we digress. Boaz, at every turn, acts justly, loves mercy, and walks humbly before God. He said he would see to it that Ruth and Naomi would be redeemed. He made sure that they would, regardless of the cost. And what do we see as the fruit of this? The people, these people, we got to remember, none of these people do what's right in God's eyes. These people who do what's right in their own eyes see Boaz and they praise him. Boaz does what's right in God's eyes and he is celebrated and blessed. His name goes down in the annals of Scripture as a worthy man. He is blessed by God and blessed by his neighbors, while the selfish kinsman redeemer, seeking to preserve his legacy, goes unnamed. What does it mean to be a godly man? What is worthy of praise? Now, there are a great many observations we could make, and we should make, as we consider Boaz in this story. Boaz was generous. He was kind. He was others aware. He was protective. He was faithful to his word. He was willing to let others go before him. He was selfless. And these things are all good and right and true and worthy of celebrating. There are a great many observations we could take time to turn our attention to. But the one I want to draw our attention to this morning is this. In the period of the judges, when there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, Boaz didn't. He did what was right and good in God's eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, except Ruth, except Boaz. I believe this is probably why Boaz was taken by Ruth. He saw that she was a woman of character, of courage, a beautiful woman. 
Now, this is no small thing, is it? When everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes and someone stands for what is right and good and true in God's eyes. No small thing to do what is right in God's eyes amidst a crooked and perverse generation. We can relate to this a little bit, can't we? Boaz was the only one who didn't jump off the cliff that everybody else was jumping off of. Christian theologian and mathematician Blaise Pascal offers this interesting illustration. When everyone is aboard ship and moving all at once, nothing appears to be moving. When everyone is moving towards depravity, no one seems to be moving. But when someone stops, he shows up what's going on in all the others by acting as a fixed point. When everything is moving at once as onboard ship, nothing appears to be moving. When everyone is moving towards depravity, no one appears to be moving. But when someone stops, He shows up all the rest and acts as a fixed point. Boaz, amidst a crooked and corrupt generation, was a fixed point for God and God's people. What is a godly man? What is worthy of celebrating? One who does what is right in God's eyes regardless of the cost. One of the truths that I've noticed as I've matured in my faith, I now do a lot of work as a biblical counselor and work with a lot of individuals. I have realized that we all yearn, groan with eager longing, as Paul says, for sons of God to be revealed. Just as Ruth and Naomi desperately hoped for a redeemer in their lives, do we not also hope and pray for sons of God to be revealed in our lives? For men to participate in redemption for fixed points. For women to be strong and courageous. Do we not, all of us, long for the men in our lives, fathers, husbands, sons, brothers in Christ, friends, to participate as redemptive voices in our lives, redemptive means of grace in our lives. We need to be honest about this, though. That 
can feel like a lot of pressure, can't it? I don't know about you, Mitt brothers, but when I start to think about this, I'm keenly aware of how I have failed. That can feel like a lot of pressure. I want to be strong. I want to be courageous. But I know my frame. There is good news, dear brothers, and it is this. We are not called to be messiahs. We are called to be ministers. We are called to be sons. We are called to be royal priests, stewards of what God has entrusted to us, not saviors. Jesus alone can save. He alone can bear the weight of accomplishing redemption. For you, he alone can bear the weight of accomplishing redemption for those we love. We need not try to take the place of God, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. No, He alone can save. He is willing and able, mighty to save. Our call is to stand as fixed points, to be strong and courageous for His sake, trusting him to fill in the gaps. Our call is to live humbly before him, to ask at every turn, God, what do you want? Help me fight for that. Have mercy on me. Have mercy in me. Have mercy through me. Our call is to walk humbly before the Lord, so that he might be lifted up. Now, Boaz in the story of Ruth is a beautiful picture of how a man can walk humbly before God and others and participate in redemption. I'd like to close with a short story of how this has landed in real time and real space for a friend of mine. I knew a friend who is a minister. He's older than me. He had a wayward son. <sighs> son had grown up in the church, of course. But now he was, he was in his 20s when all this happened. The minister, my friend, his father, really struggled with how this was all going, as you can probably imagine. The son got involved with the wrong crowd. He got into drugs and all kinds of other stuff. And my friend and his wife grieved this deeply. They did what they could. They tried to love him at every chance they got, but he distanced himself. They tried to be as patient as they could be with all of the foolishness, but at the end, all they could do was pray. One morning, 2 a.m., the phone rings. Now, where does your heart and mind go when the phone rings at 2 a.m.? He picks up the phone, 
police officer. Bad news. Your son has been arrested. We need you to come down and pick him up. He tells his wife. Shame. Fear. Pain. So he drives down to the station. Walks in. Asks about his son. Finds out his son isn't there. Have no record of the son showing up. Something happens, some mistake. Father's confused, doesn't know what to do. 2.30 in the morning. Fearful for his son. Drives over to his son's house. Son lives in squalor with a bunch of other knucklehead roommates. Walks in the door, stepping over bottles all over the place. Sees his son passed out on the couch, three in the morning. (sighs) He sighs. (laughs) Praise God. Walks over to his son. Kisses him. Prays over him. (sighs) I love you, son. Walks out the door. A couple months later, son calls him up. Dad, can we get coffee? Meet up for coffee. He notices that something seems to have changed in his son. Son definitely is interacting with him differently. Dad, I've made some big changes in my life. I've come to trust Jesus. Dad's speechless. He don't know what to say. The son looks at him and says, Dad asked me what happened. So dad goes, What happened, man? The son says, A couple months ago, early in the morning, you came to my house. You walked in. You kissed me. And you prayed for me. And you said that you love me. You didn't know I was awake. I was awake the whole time. Didn't know what you were there for. And as you walked away, I thought in my heart, how could someone I have been so wretched to love me like you do? And then I realized before you walked out the door, I know why you love me that much. You love me that much because of Jesus. Because that's the way Jesus has loved you. Brothers, there is a lot of pressure on you to be Superman. But you don't need to be any more than what you are. Don't try to be God. 
You are not called to save yourself, and you are not called to save others. You don't have to be perfect. You have been called to walk humbly with your God, to do the next thing and the right thing, even when that is repenting. And to love and cherish mercy. Your charge is to live as a son of God and invite others to see what that means. Your call is to be a fixed point, resting in Christ, come what may. When everyone is moving at once, as on board a ship, nothing appears to be moving. When everything is moving towards depravity, nothing appears to be moving. But when someone stops, he shows up the others and acts as a fixed point. Brothers, men, we praise God for those many times where you have acted as fixed points, loving God and loving us. And we pray that God will give you everything you need. Humility, courage, faith, hope, and love to do what is right to do what is right in his eyes, regardless of the costs. Let's pray. Lord, we indeed thank you for the gift of grace godly men have been in our life. And Lord, I don't know if there's... It's a a high calling And I imagine there might be some men here who feel shame at where they have not been perfect. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And we thank you that godly sorrow leads us to repentance. And we thank you that you are God and that you are alive and active making all things new. And we thank you that the pressure's off. Lord, for our brothers, these men, help us be strong and courageous, we pray. Help us die to ourselves so that your kingdom might come in all of its glory here now in the land of the living and the lives of those we love as we look forward to the kingdom to come. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen our sisters too to love well, to be patient with men, fallen, broken image bearers being redeemed as we are. And Lord, in all of this, we pray that people will see the glories of your love, the glories of your grace. May we decrease so that you might increase. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name, thankful that he has made all of this redemption possible. Amen.